0: Hey, it's Ray. Today's episode of Radio Advisory is going to sound a little bit different because, well, it's not actually a Radio Advisory episode. This week, I wanted to bring you one of my favorite episodes from one of my favorite healthcare podcasts. It's called See You Now which is a show about nurses working to change the status quo in healthcare. And recently, they did a series about racial reckoning in nursing, and I really want you to listen to it. If you've been listening to Radio Advisory for a while, you know that we too have done a ton of episodes about why racism is a healthcare issue and what we can do to make systems more equitable and beneficial for everyone. In this episode, you're going to hear from a different perspective that shows just how pervasive racism in healthcare can be. You'll hear leaders in nursing, media, and life sciences about what their organizations are doing to notice and address the harms of racism in healthcare. With that, here's part one of CU Now's Reckoning with Racism series hosted by Shauna Butler. Shauna, take it away.
1: See You Now is a podcast highlighting the innovative and human-centered solutions that nurses are coming up with to solve for today's most challenging healthcare problems. Created in collaboration with Johnson & Johnson and the American Nurses Association and hosted by nurse economist and health tech specialist, Shana Butler.
2: Racism, it's assaults, Assaults on the human spirit. The data was telling us that different care was being offered to different patients.
3: It's about an ideology of superiority. We are having
2: to confront the reality that the media continues to be too white and too male. It's about moral suffering and physical harm. There are differences in outcomes depending on your skin color in the United States. And it's about
3: systemic injustices and inequities. We couldn't issue statements anymore that was not going to bring the change that needed to come
2: part of the solution absolutely has to be collaboration across institutions to figure out how to be better at being anti-racist. We believe that as an industry leader, in working with others, we can help create a world where the color of your skin is not a determinant of the access to care quality or your own health outcomes. We just have a whole lot of work to do
3: to help us advance where we need to be As nurses, as a profession, as humans living together with other humans.
4: Welcome to See You Now. I'm Shauna Butler. In June 2022, the American Nurses Association Membership Assembly took historic action and meaningful first steps on a journey of racial reckoning, acknowledging its own past actions that have harmed nurses of color and perpetuated systemic racism. In this two-part episode, we're going to explore and discuss this reckoning. And to do so, I'm delighted to welcome Nurse Lucinda Canty as my co-host. Lucinda's experience, expertise, scholarship, and insights are vital and valuable and provide depth and credibility to a conversation on racism, racism in healthcare, and racism in nursing. So, Lucinda... I am so excited to be working on anything with you. And when I think about some of the people who have most influenced me, one of my favorite is the late Congressman John Lewis, when he talked about getting into good trouble. And I can't imagine a better person to get into good trouble with than you. So we're embarking on an episode that really addresses a really harmful experience that too many people have in healthcare. Um, whether they are an individual, whether they work in healthcare, whether they teach, you know, they're out in the community, and that's racism. So I would love for you to share a little bit about who you are, Lucinda, and the work that you've been doing, and how you have come to understand the importance of racism in healthcare and in the nursing profession.
5: Hey, my name is Lucinda Canti. I'm a nurse midwife. I'm also an associate professor of nursing at UMass Amherst and Director of SeedWorks Health Equity and Nursing Program. I have been in nursing for about 30 years. I love nursing. I love midwifery. I don't even see myself doing anything else. For me, it's been a wonderful experience, but racism has unfortunately been a part of my experience even before I entered nursing school. Because at that time, when I first told my um, guidance counselor I wanted to become a nurse, he believed that only an associate degree program would accept me, the community college, even though I applied to other programs. The funny thing about my story is that all the other programs accepted me except for the community college. They put me on a waiting list. So I didn't hear from them until I was starting my junior year.
4: (laughs) The irony of that. Yeah, the irony of that. Oh.
5: Yes. So that was my introduction to racism. I couldn't name it at the time. It wasn't until I started to reflect on my own experiences that I realized that. But I really didn't understand racism until I did my own research into maternal health. And I started just wanting to understand why were women dying in the United States? Because I'm like, I in my nursing program, we have the greatest healthcare system. So I didn't understand it. And even working in midwifery for several years, it wasn't until I started to actually do research that I was able to understand. And when I first started looking into maternal health, I was shocked when I heard about the racial disparities. And as a Black woman, that time when I started looking into this, my son was three years old. I didn't realize that I was in danger myself because we don't talk about it, but I didn't really understand and see it until I started looking at the statistics. When I first started looking into trying to understand why Black women were dying, I was told that they were poor, they were uneducated, that they started prenatal care late or they didn't get prenatal care. And even a colleague of mine even said, Oh, they have a bunch of diseases. That didn't make sense. From the women that I know in my own life, from myself, I really start to find, well, I found out by interviewing Black women who almost died during childbirth, that really how they were treated in the healthcare system was a major cause. They were not heard when they had symptoms. They were educated. They all started prenatal care in the first trimester. But the main thing was that they were not heard. And that was difficult for me as a nurse, as a nurse midwife. That was very difficult because I didn't want to believe that was our healthcare system. So, this topic is very important to me because I see how it interferes with the quality of life for nurses of color, but also the impact that it has on those that we care for.
4: I think a lot of people know your work through your frequent posts on LinkedIn, which are so interesting and so beautiful and so uplifting and inspiring. But when I think about you, I think about drawing and paintings and artwork, and I think about a community baby shower. So please share more about some of the things that you do, that you're excited about, that you're really proud of.
5: Okay. So I I feel like I live in a lot of lanes in nursing. <laughs> so, so poetry, art has always been important to me, and I've always been very private about my art. But as I start to share, because I, I get, I use art to represent the themes, people start to really, um, understand what I was trying to explain. And for me, that was very important. And so art has always been a way for me and poetry has always been a way for me to express myself, but also to have some joy because nursing could be very stressful. And that was a way to kind of alleviate that stress. So that's an important part of what I do. And out of my research, I found that women, they wanted health education. They wanted support. They wanted a um, community around maternal health. So through my research, I took my themes and I wanted to create something that was happening in the community. And I wanted to create a space where Black women and other women of color were heard and seen. And so I created Lucinda's House, which is a nonprofit that allows me to bring educational resources, but also when I think of mental health, find ways that we could bring birthing families together and celebrate pregnancy, especially in this time where I feel like there's so much uncertainty. So I do community baby showers, but I also have smaller community conversations about issues that are sensitive that we don't really talk about. And I do it with other members of the community. So we just create environments where we can just talk and just make Make this normal for us to be uncertain about our health care, have questions about our health care, but also to be able to not be judged, to have unconditional support or non judgmental support. And that feels like an excellent lead into this episode. Lucinda, why
4: don't you kick us off?
5: Racism is something we avoid talking about, we don't like talking about and we're not necessarily comfortable or good at talking about it. But addressing individual and systemic racism is a moral imperative and fundamental to the integrity of nursing and healthcare professions. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey. three black Americans killed in acts that reminded the world that systemic racism is persistent Pervasive and deadly in the United States. The massive protests in the summer of 2020 that followed were manifestations of deep anger and despair at the racism that has plagued America since its founding. This prompted many organizations to question their role in systemic racism and issue anti racism statements declaring their institutional values. In this two part episode, We hear from leaders in nursing, media, and life sciences about how they are leaning in and living into racial reckoning to address and eliminate the harms of racism.
3: I'm Cheryl Peterson. I'm a registered nurse, have been for almost 40 years. I work at the American Nurses Association, where I get to roll up my sleeves on a daily basis and talk about issues of ethics through our Center for Ethics and Human Rights, where we're talking about not only the code of ethics, but gender-affirming care, when we're talking about the rights of individuals to choose their own death and what that looks like to nurses roles in each of those things to equity. I get to work with my colleagues in healthy nurse, healthy nation, which is all about the health and wellness of nurses. And I get to support the minority fellowship program. And I have covered a lot of territory and a lot of issues over my time here. And, um, feel like we're making contributions to advancing the profession, to making life just a little bit better, I hope, for nurses who are in their clinical practice or wherever
4: they're out there practicing. Cheryl, Lucinda, and I wanted to have a discussion with you about racism in healthcare and very specifically racism in nursing. Nursing has a beautiful history. It also has a very complicated history, and it also has a very incomplete history. My opening question is, based on your involvement with the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing, can you provide context surrounding racism in healthcare and in nursing, you know, a little bit of that historical background? Well, so at the American Nurses
3: Association, we've been focused on racism in nursing. And we looked at the bigger pool about healthcare, but really felt like our lane is really focusing on nursing. We certainly were aware of our own organizational history where we failed to represent. And we really worked to try to create some common understanding of what is the history and context of racism in nursing and what happened in nursing tracks with where healthcare was in general. We know that the racism got baked into the systems, whether it be our education system, so how we were teaching Nurses, we work in places that have grown out of systemic racism in how our community institutions were developed. And so nursing became part of those institutions where it was systemically baked into how we provided care and what that care looked like. So, in terms of where nursing really Failed in that regard is that we didn't challenge when we knew there was racism occurring in these systems in the hospitals, and that was part of an underpinning that comes out of our code of ethics uh, in terms of how we treat people and how we recognize the humanity of all of us. So, I don't know that I can say all about the history of of inequities and racism within healthcare, and maybe I'll. Hunt it over to my colleague, Lucinda, who can give you some broader context there.
5: Yes, because we know that there's a history where there were people, I'll use a Black community, for example, who were already providing like nursing care, midwifery care, and then with the development of nursing educational programs, schools of nursing, that nurses of color, particularly Black nurses and Native nurses, were excluded because it was believed that we couldn't handle the rigor. We couldn't handle the studies. And so that left a lack of diversity in nursing because that was an extreme structural barrier. And we still see it show up today. And I, I just love how you said that people recognized it, but didn't really challenge it. That happened then, and I think that's still happening now.
3: Yeah, thank you, Lucinda. And I think you're exactly right. Part of where we find ourselves being the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing is to help provide nurses with opportunities to engage in dialogue. So if I can learn, if I can dialogue, if I can understand the language, and if I listen, then I have a toolkit a small one, maybe, but a toolkit that I can use the next time I see something or the next time I might engage in some racist behavior and I can step back and say, oh, wait, wow, that didn't turn out the way I thought it should. So part of what we're trying to do is help strengthen the toolkit of nurses so that they can be the advocate that they need to be, not only for their colleagues or to be an ally, either from behind or in front, depending upon what's needed. Um, We are trying to build in nursing while also trying to understand the systemic impact and begin to deal with that systemic piece of it.
4: And I also wanted to check in with you, Cheryl and Lucinda. We're using the word racism. So in this context and the ANA's work, could both of you share how you're defining racism?
3: Do you want to start? Yeah, I'm happy to start because this has been a really interesting piece for the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing. The commission was formed two years ago in January of 2021. And we brought together a group of organizational representatives and we had to spend some real time grappling with what did we mean when we used the term racism? And my colleague, Dr. Rume Alexander, helped the commission to actually develop their own definition of racism. We felt that it was important that for nursing, that we're really clear about what we mean when we're talking about racism. And for the commission, it is about assaults, assaults on the human spirit. And those assaults can be because of actions, biases, prejudices, an ideology of superiority. And we are focused on race, based on race. And what is the outcome of these assaults is moral suffering, and physical harm. And that these can occur to individuals. They most definitely occur in individuals and that they also perpetuate systemic injustices and inequities. So what are the key words in the commission's definition of racism? It's assaults, assaults on the human spirit. It's about an ideology of superiority. It's about moral suffering and physical harm, and it's about systemic injustices and inequities. So that's really our definition of racism.
4: And in that very expansive um, definition, what are some of the ways that racism has shown up and people have experienced it? And we'll just talk about nurses in their careers, their educational opportunities, their economic well-being, the jobs that they get and the jobs that they don't get, their representation in organizations or in policy, speak to what harms and assaults, um, how has that resulted in people's lives?
3: The National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing did a series in June of 2021, we did a series of listening sessions. We brought together nurses in as safe a space as we could create virtually for them And we talked about the attitudes, the actions, and the impact that racism had, where they were experiencing implicit bias, explicit bias, prejudice, stereotypes, microaggressions. They were exposed to discrimination, oppression, exclusion where if you're the black nurse on a floor where you're principally with white colleagues and you are excluded from the sorority of nursing, if you will. Mm -hmm. The insistence on conformity, tokenism, the impact that they saw was inequity, self-doubt, demoralization. And here's another word that kind of relates to the words that you heard in our definition, spirit murder where slowly by slowly, we're eroding the very spirit of a nurse. The invisible workload, right? Not only do nurses of color have to do their day-to-day jobs, but they, they maybe have to represent or they have to do the really hard work of fitting in or making sure that they adjust the language that they use. They can feel silenced. They feel invisible. They were exhausted. They're tired of being tired. They're exhausted. Nursing is the most racist profession outside of law enforcement was one of the quotes that we heard. I have been told people like me never get anywhere. Nursing has not been safe or particularly uplifting. So these are the words that really led us to understand
4: that we had some serious work that we needed to do. Lucinda, I see you nodding your head. Yes, that everything yes. that Cheryl is saying, you are. I, I see the agreement there.
5: Yes, yes, and it it brings me back to that definition of racism. It's it is like an oppression, mm-hmm. just because of race, and we know that race is not real; is made up, but in society, it has real implications. And for a lot of nurses of color, we go into nursing because we want to care for our communities. And the things that Cheryl described really kill dreams. So it is like that assault on your spirit, but it's not that you can't do it intellectually or that you can't physically do it, but it does. It it plays like this psychological game on you that maybe I'm not supposed to be here. And it shows up in even just thinking about going to nursing school, because then you're already met with, you know, nursing is difficult. You know, why don't you be a nurse's aide or an LPN, you know, licensed practical nurse? It's always like those things that divert us in our dreams to be that registered nurse and then maybe to continue on. So it starts there where people are already telling you you can't do it without someone seeing your abilities. And then when you're in nursing school, is that challenge of you're still being seen like you're not supposed to be here? You know, are you sure you want to do this? nursing's not for everyone. So it's like those constant challenges. And then you graduate into the real world. And I'll share from my own experience is I didn't think nurses could be racist. I just thought that even if you were a certain way at home, when you came in to care for your patients, you know, you leave that there and you do the best that you can. And so that was an eye opener for me to see that that wasn't always the case. And the harm in that I've even seen, whether it was how nurses of color were treated or the patients. And even just going back to that definition of racism, some people think that it's just you're having a bad day. So, Shira, I love how you said it's an assault. It's like it kills your spirit because that's how deep it goes. And we always focus on the interpersonal. We don't really talk about the structural piece, the things that we can't see that's part of the system. That's why I was nodding, Cheryl, when you were talking, because you really described those ways that it shows up, but also the harm that it caused to the person that's experiencing it.
4: Cheryl, one of the things that I think is really important to illuminate is I don't think that there was a moment that someone in the ANA leadership woke up and said, oh, we've been doing this wrong for you know, decades. We have a history of this. We need to fix this now. There was a very clear precipitating event, and I would um, really appreciate if you would take us back um, to what really provoked an inward look and provoked this racial reckoning. Says, "Man, we have not done well. We we need to own up to this, and we need to fix this." It was the murder of George Floyd right
3: around Memorial Day weekend. Right after that was, for us, Membership Assembly, which is our highest policy-making body within ANA. And it was such a startling event, it was horrific. And I found myself having to write a statement for A and for Membership Assembly to be able to decry what is going on, which we did. It was a beautiful statement, very heartfelt, but What we realized after that was we couldn't issue statements anymore. We couldn't do that anymore. That was not going to bring the change that we felt needed to come. So the ANA Board of Directors agreed we needed to do more. So figuring out what to do more, of course, became the next challenge that we had. And for us, we knew our leverage, our space where we could have the most impact is in nursing. I don't think at the time that we were having this discussion with ANA that I, as a white woman, in my later years, knew the extent of the problem. And it really wasn't until we had the listening sessions that I began to hear the words of my colleagues and the harm and the hurt. But ANA partnered with the National Black Nurses Association, the National Coalition of Ethnic Minority Nursing Association, and the National Association of Hispanic Nurses to bring about the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing. So a couple of things to note, ANA knew we couldn't lead this work. We needed our partner organizations, but that we definitely had to be a part of it. And I think to the point about ANA, ANA would have no credibility with our colleagues of color. And we were told, you really have no credibility leading this commission. Then we really had to engage in looking at ourselves, who we are as an association of 125 plus years old and who we are moving forward. And it was in that space that we offered our racial reckoning statement. And that was necessary because that was about the only way that we would be able to, I think, have the kind of credibility to be able to engage with our colleagues. And in our racial reckoning statement, what ANA said, and this is just one sentence, but let me read it to you. It says, through acts of omission, when ANA failed to act, and co when ANA's actions negatively impacted nurses of color and ethnic minority nursing associations, ANA has caused harm and perpetuated the systemic racism we see today. And it is in that space where we now find ourselves working. So we work through the commission, which is a pretty innovative approach. We brought in a lot of different voices We did our best to be as inclusive as we could. We're trying to lay a foundation because we're in it for the long haul. We aren't gonna solve this problem in two years, five years. This is a long-term issue that we're going to have to continue to grapple with. We'll make mistakes, we'll learn from our mistakes and we will drive forward again. But we are committed both to the commission and to our own understanding of who we are.
5: And how do you feel like it was received from white nurses, nurses of color? What kind of responses did you receive? Yeah, what a
3: great question, Lucinda. Um, Mixed. It was mixed. Mixed on all accounts, right? I will say that the membership
4: assembly voted unanimously to support the racial reckoning statement. It is referred to in its title as a statement, but I I know when I read it, um, it was a sincere apology. I can only imagine what it felt like in that room and in many of those conversations to get to the words that were there. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, and there were probably there was probably a lot of strong emotion, a lot of tears, a lot of shame, embarrassment. Um, and so that while yeah. it is titled a statement, you know, the words that are used there is that it's we're seeking forgiveness Um, reconciliation and healing. And so we're saying that it's a statement. It really is truly um, an apology and an acknowledgement of the harms that were done and a request for forgiveness. The racial reckoning statement by
3: ANA, every word in that document was tested and tested again for are we saying the thing we want to say? And we were very deliberate about using the terms of forgiveness. We are asking for forgiveness. We have caused harm. We apologize. We name the harm against individual nurses. We name the harm against organizations like the National Black Nurses Association, like the National Association of Hispanic Nurses, ANA failed to represent. So we are definitely, we are definitely seeking forgiveness. We, we know we caused harm. And, and so you are right to name that. Now, to your question, Lucinda, the reaction from nurses of color is, uh, I, I'll use the term trust, but verify. So what we heard was, okay, we appreciate where you're coming from, a We're going to watch. We're going to watch for actions. The first thing we did after membership assembly was in July of that year, we went to the National Black Nurses Association, their annual meeting. And we were in a room with the leaders of NBNA and members and executive officer for a a stood before that group and apologized. We did the same for Cayeta Phi. And in July, we are heading to the National Association of Hispanic Nurses. We are going to the places where we need to be in communication with people. This is how we are living into what we believe we need to do in order to achieve some form of reconciliation. Most of the feedback that we got was supportive of where we were coming from. We had some who said, What the hell is A doing? Why are you doing this? Right? We got other problems to worry about. This should not be A's business. We lost members over this, but we're committed to being in the space of having this conversation and in some way or another being a leader. In this space, we're heading to ICN, the International Council of Nurses, in Montreal, in the beginning of July, where we're going to sit and say to our colleagues, "We've had this conversation. How about you?" Because we need all of us to engage in this conversation.
5: So, how do we continue to move forward, and how is ANA going to lead this?
3: Yeah. So we do rely on our partner organizations to help guide us. And this is where the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing is really helpful to us. Because the commission, I believe, will be able to continue to provide clarity about where we need to go. The first two years of the commission was really about saying, we have a problem nurses. We have a problem. We had listening sessions where nurses put voice to what that problem looks like. We had a national survey that shows that we have significant racism being felt by our colleagues and by patients. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation had a survey that echoed the same findings that we had in our survey or similar findings. We have a national report, but I think for us, what we have really focused on is that those nurses who reported a personal experience with racism in the workplace, 92% of Black nurses indicated that they had experienced racism in the workplace. 73% of our Asian nurses had indicated the same, 69% of our Hispanic nurses. And we had over 5,600 respondents from across the country. And three quarters of the Black nurses said that racism negatively impacts their professional well-being. And part of the kind of focus, I think, oftentimes for us has been on the Black experience. But we know that our colleagues, uh, the Filipinos, the Asian Americans, the uh, Indigenous nurses, which is not a space where I think we know a whole lot about what that looks like. What does that racism look like? And we have a lot of work to do in that space.
5: Yes, like you know it exists, but even myself as a Black nurse, I was startled by those statistics that so many people experience racism. The other part was the number of, out of all, like 90% of Black nurses, for example, saying that they've experienced racism, but the small number of people who report it the racism. And then what happened after it was reported? A part of me was surprised. A part of me was not surprised. I'm still processing that. And I could understand why many would not report because it is very scary. And racism is sometimes so abstract that we know what we're experiencing. We know how it feels. And sometimes it's difficult to articulate it, But then if we're reporting it to someone that's not their lived experience, we're often met with, are you sure? I never saw that in that person. And it almost erases that experience because I know like when something happens, we think about it over and over again. So when we do have the courage to speak up and then we're met with that, it can shut us down. It can make us think things are not going to change. So I understand why some may be hesitant to report. But the other part is, does leadership know what to do when an incident is reported? Is it that they don't know or they don't believe? And that's an area I think we need to look at and also understand.
3: And I don't know that we know what the answer is, but that's one of the pieces that has come out of the commission work is we're like, yeah, where does that really go?
4: Who does it fit? We've named racism. We know it exists. We know the impacts and the harms that it creates. Um, We know that action needs to be taken. What do we need to do so that our workplaces, our work practices, and our policies become anti-racist, you know, Um, and and again, we need to look at on the individual level and our individual practice, but so much of what Lucinda has really enlightened me about, and I've learned from so many of my colleagues, it is the individual piece. But this is just such a structural, systemic issue.
5: I also want to add another layer to that. How can it be prevented in the first place?
3: Mm -hmm. It's going to take real work and effort. So, And it's work and effort at the individual level, but it is, as you noted, it's work and effort at the systemic level, which is why, at least with regard to the commission, we are moving into that systemic space. Um, How do we have conversations with, Uh, Chief Nursing Officers. What might that look like? How are they understanding what is going on in their institutions? How do we help them evaluate that? And it's not going to happen overnight, but we've got to start asking the questions. I think what we've done thus far is shine a light. That's all we've done is shine a light. It's important to shine the light It's really important because there's a whole lot of white nurses out there who probably would have said, everything's fine. I don't know what you're talking about. And now what we have to do is begin the conversations with leaders, with other national nursing associations to say, how are you dealing with this? What does it look like in your space? How can we... um, How can we work with our academic institutions? I just got off the call right before this with a publishing company. It's a real problem in the clinical content that we have, that we use. So how are we going to make sure that we are not stereotyping people, that we're not teaching racist ideas? So we're talking to publishers. We have to talk to leaders. We have to continue to shine a light. We have to continue to listen. And we have to continue to learn. I've already mentioned the indigenous nurses. I think we have a lot of work to do in that space to understand. And, you know, those don't sound very exciting or dare I say innovative,
4: right? I know. It can sound like a lot of talk. It can sound like we mean well. Those are really great intentions. But I think, as you mentioned, and Lucinda also, you know, echoed that it is, thank you. We're watching, we're paying attention. So how does this request for forgiveness, a commitment to reconciliation and healing, how does that translate into Mm -hmm. what I'm experiencing in my own profession, in my own practice, in my community? And policies don't necessarily sound sexy, but policies are pervasive. That's where you really hit at the system. That's the systems. That's the systemic part is the policy. So, um, and you know, you put the policy in place, but then there's a lot of behavior, a lot of mindsets that need to be changed. Those things all come together. And so it's really important. Uh, So why don't you speak to the work of this commission, how you've divided out and where you know that action needs to be taken and what's included in those actions? so let me first
3: start with the racial reckoning side of the house so this is specific to ana behavior of ana right so we actually have bucketed that into three areas one is our external presence right it's the work we're doing in in collaboration with mbna and non it's talking with publishers it's really looking at those pieces but we also know we have to look at our own policies and approaches and our own committees, right? Our own volunteer bodies. Right now we have a really diverse board, diverse from gender, diverse with regard to ethnicity and race, it's a very diverse board, but it hasn't always been that way. And how do we make sure that it's the same moving forward? How do we look at the policies that we're making and how do we make sure that we've got the right lens? And then the third space we're looking at is who is A as an employer? You know, how do we treat our own employees? How do they feel about working for A? And so that is our own work where we have a DE&I committee within the organization. We've done some looking at attitudes that our employees have experienced and it all takes time, but we're committed. I will just keep saying we are committed to moving that work forward. The commission, the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing, we're trying to take a multi-pronged approach. One is we are continuing to focus on that individual, right? How do we get the kind of education that we need into nursing school What are some innovative approaches to doing the education and training and dialogue that needs to occur at the boots on the ground level? We're going to continue to understand the attitudes and what nurses are experiencing. So we're going to be doing another survey because we have to be constantly checking in. We have to be hearing from nurses. What does it look like out there? Because it's really hard to be able to judge when you've made a difference. And I'll just put one more plug in. We are starting to revise the Code of Ethics for Nurses. The American Nurses Association is the steward of our Code of Ethics. It has evolved since the 1950s when it was first written. And that work of looking at revising the code, it will be done by 2025. And I think this topic is going to be a part of what we have to talk about as we think about our code. And that is a policy that is really significant to see
5: changed. I do like hearing about diversity and leadership, you know, leadership roles and the governance structures. I think those are very important and really make me excited. And looking at the um, ANA and their commitment, I love hearing about the Oral History Project and how they want to capture history and contributions of nurses of color. I do have a question about white nurses? Are we going to look at their views about race and racism? Because white nurses, they want to know what they can do. You know, some are acknowledging that they have privilege and that they're in positions where they can make change. But racism is something we don't talk about in nursing. So they don't know what to do. So are we going to look at also their history when it comes to race and understanding racism Is there going to be guidance for them to be anti-racist?
3: Yeah, really, really great question. But you're right about calling out white nurses. We've tended to be in a place of privilege. Uh, We have tended to be the ones who have acted in a racist manner.
5: Yes, yes. What I was trying to say is that people want to do better. They just don't know how to execute it because we don't talk about it. When it comes to racism, I think the system is racist and anyone can become part of the system. And because we don't talk about it, you could be a person of color and, and function in the system and not realize that you're supporting policies, for example, that promote racism or that disproportionately impact, you know, people of color. So we need to talk about it. I meet nurses who want to do better. But they just don't know. And when they do go to organizations for support, they're still not giving the guidance. I know A is working towards that. But how do we find out what they're thinking and how they feel and where they want to go, you know, moving forward? Because that's how the action is done.
3: I think you've raised a really important point. And it goes back to what I said earlier, which is how do we create the space for nurses to engage with each other in dialogue so that I can learn. I can learn what that experience looks like so that I can learn the language that helps me to communicate in a way that's meaningful, that I can learn about how I might be able to be helpful. So one of the ways in which we did that was through the Project ECHO. And Project ECHO was a series where we we looked at aspects of racism. It includes a short presentation by a subject matter expert, a case study so that people understand what does that look like, and then breakout rooms where people go into dialogue with each other. The so first session we did, we only did 60 minutes. The feedback that we got was just not long enough. So then we increased it to 90 minutes. They wanted to be able to come back to the group as a whole after the breakout session and then engage in conversation more with the group as a whole. What did I learn? What was my experience in that conversation? And it's gonna take a long time to get to 4.3 million nurses. But our goal is to engage with all of nursing and what is the conversation to be had. can be an incredible force for change. So in the end, right, why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this because we love our profession. It's important for who we are. But it's more importantly, it's important for our patients. It's important for our families, for our communities, for our country, for our global work that needs to be done. And so we may change it one person at a time. We may change it one system at a time or one policy at a time but part of what we struggle with or part of what I struggle with as a leader learning and walking in this space is I feel a need to go fast (laughs) but I also know I have a lot of nurses a lot of white nurses who I need to call upon to pull into this space with me I have to bring them along so that they too are part of the solution And it's just going to have to be dialogue. So we're going to start an online community to create another space for nurses to engage in conversation. We're going to have another echo this fall that's going to focus on health equity. We're committed to trying to find the space for every nurse to engage with us and the commission and each other. How hard
4: has this been for you, Cheryl? Oh
3: my gosh, Uh, I I have to say, it's um, not knowing what I was getting into, right? And I have made some incredible stumbles, some incredible stumbles, but I have worked with nurses who have had the grace to coach me, who have been willing to answer my questions Uh, we've had a few crying sessions. And I can tell you it's very cathartic to cry because it just releases something that gets pent up. But I've been at ANA for 30 plus years. This is the most important work. Even setting aside nurse staffing, which I spend a lot of time talking about these days. This, to me, is the life-changing work that we need to be doing. And I, I feel very privileged that A&A has entrusted me with doing some of this work, that I've, I've heard support from my colleagues and they continually coach me. And when I step in a pothole, they give me a hand out of the pothole and they say, this is how we can do this better together. And for that, I'm eternally grateful.
5: That's what gives me hope. This is tough work and you don't give up. Dealing with racism is not easy. Coming to terms with how it has shown up in nursing is not easy, but I think it's that you keep coming back. You don't give up. And that's the part that really gives me hope. You know, that even when you said you stumble or you say something that you wish you didn't say, but is acknowledging that, getting support, but continuing to move forward. We're gonna have those ups and downs, but I think the main thing is that we just keep moving forward. I respect the ANA for that, for continuing to move forward. What
3: we're engaged in, what we're desirous of, is bringing all nurses along with us in learning about, listening to, understanding, stepping in, stepping up, stepping behind, and giving them the skills that they need to be able to do that. We just have a whole lot of work to do. <laughs> And um, I'm fully cognizant that we don't have all the answers. We don't even know what all the tools are yet. The conversation I was just on was about, well, how do we use simulation? I'm like, I don't know, but we'll figure it out, right? How do we use these things to help us advance where we need to be as nurses, as a profession, as humans living together with other humans?
5: Coming up in part two.
2: The racial reckoning was really about a reckoning with our institutions in this country, and media was not excluded from that reckoning. The healthcare environment is also going to need the industry to help fix this because it's going to take all of us to see around corners, use data, get underneath what actually is the cause. As a journalist, my role is not necessarily to make recommendations about what any institution should or shouldn't do, but to ask, what is the work that is being done? Nurses see almost everything in the healthcare environment. The whole entire ecosystem plays a role here. But I would say they're a key part of the solution. How can we be more intentional about creating the culture and creating the kind of approach to care that we want that is anti-racist? When I'm up on the Hill talking to members, it's an education. It's keeping top of mind that this is an important and critical issue for Americans. And it's also an issue that we care about and that we're willing to do something about.
4: Special thanks to Nurse Cheryl Peterson, Vice President of Nursing Programs at the American Nurses Association.
5: We invite and encourage you to read the ANA Racial Reckoning Statement, and look at the mission and vision of the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing website, and learn what you can do. For see you now. I'm Shauna Butler, and I'm Lucinda Canty. Keep listening.
1: Nurses are transforming healthcare through innovation, compassion, and leadership. And Johnson and Johnson is proud to continue its 125-year commitment to champion nurses through recognition, skill building leadership development, and more. The American Nurses Association is dedicated to building a culture of innovation. Nurses improve the lives of patients and communities through innovative thinking, empathetic connection, scientific rigor, and sheer determination. ANA is proud to support and advocate for our nation's most valuable healthcare resource, our nurses. For more information on See You Now and to listen to any of the earlier episodes in our library, Visit see
0: Huge thanks to our friends at see you now for letting us share today's episode. You can find more information about the see you now podcast in our show notes. We also have an entire playlist of radio advisory episodes, all about health equity and racism. And they're so important to go back and listen to plus all of the other research and material we've created at advisory board, because remember, as always, we're here to help. And remember that we have an entire playlist of radio advisory episodes. I said, but remember, and I shouldn't have said that because now I want to say it at the end. So I was almost close to nailing this one, but now I'm going to do it again.